Hello, everyone. It's the Farm and Garden Show. I'm your host, Elizabeth Archer. Here we are again for an installment of the Farm and Garden Show. So excited to be live again on air in the uh, Ukiah studio on the MCOE campus. Today, I have a very interesting guest. I am joined via Zoom by Ron Ortman of Dirty Knees Farm. Ron is joining us from Fort Bragg. Uh, Ron and four other families own and operate a goat co-op, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Welcome to the air, Ron. Yeah, thanks, Elizabeth, and thanks for having me on. Well, thank you so much for joining us. So we're going to talk all about goats. We're going to talk about go-ops, we're gonna, co-ops, goat ops. Oh, is there a yeah. pun in there? <laughs> uh, but first, I'd like to just get a little bit of your background. I know you are a retired teacher from Oakland. You moved to Fort Bragg five years ago. So can you just fill us in a little bit about your history with gardening and animal husbandry and why you ended up in Mendocino County? Yeah, well, I started gardening when I was about seven, but that was short-lived. I didn't have much support. And I really had my first big garden uh, I dropped out of college uh, as a junior uh, when I was growing up in the Bay Area. I was born in born in Oakland, raised in Oakland, and uh, then I uh, uh, I was going to school, and that was kind of a useless thing at the time. I had just had no idea what I was doing, so I just dropped out and wanted to sort of just meditate and uh, farm. So I found a. My employer at the time, he worked for a rest. He owned a restaurant. He had a little farm in Calistoga, and he said, "You can go up there and live up there for nothing. And there's five acres. You can farm it as much as you want. Do whatever you want up there." And sounds uh, like a dream. Oh yeah. So I went up to Calistoga in nineteen. Uh, that was nineteen seventy, nineteen sixty nine, nineteen seventy, and uh, I started. You know. A truck, a little truck farm, and tried. It, it was organic, and it, at that time, the organic scene was like, you know, I mean, really minimal. There was no certification. It was just beginning. Most of the stores would have nothing to do with organic. They said it was tasteless and stuff. I did sell stuff at, up at Angwin, which is that uh, Seventh Day Adventist hospital up there, uh, up above Calistoga. I sold some vegetables there. So that lasted, you know, that lasted a couple years, and then then I moved on, <laughs> so to speak. And uh, when I was in Calistoga, I did have my first goat. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> did it come with the farm? Did you acquire the goat? No, no. I bought the goat, and gosh, you know, it, it was so different back then because we have so much information now. You know, you buy something, and you go on, and you find out how to take care of it and all that. Back then, there really wasn't. You know, I wanted a milk goat. I bought this old goat that was worthless. Oh, no. <laughs> Her name was Bernice, and she was, like, so old. And I didn't know what to do. I spent $50, which is a lot of money back then. And uh, and uh, she had mastitis, so I called the vet, and the vet said, this goat is worthless. <laughs> Get rid of this oh, my goat. gosh. <laughs> was she a good companion, at least? Oh, she was. She was like a horse. <laughs> so anyway, I got rid of Bernice, and uh, I, I Bernice, remember the R. R. saying, I'm going to go talk to that guy who sold you this goat because I know him, and I'm going to give him a piece of my mind selling a young guy like you a piece of nonsense. So then I bought another goat, Penny, and um, milked her for a number of years. 
And uh, then, I, then I went back to school, became a teacher, I always had a garden, except uh, when I traveled. I did quite a bit of traveling overseas. Uh, but, you know, ever since then, whenever, uh, when I, I was here in the States, I had a, I had a garden. I've always been a gardener. Uh, but, you know, it finally, it took me, it took me a long time, but finally when I moved up to Mendocino and I had a, you know, really great garden spot, really nice soil. Yeah. You're everything. on five acres, I think. Two acres. Two. Oh, sorry. Two acres. Two acres. Still, that's and, a lot of acreage. Uh, yeah, plenty more than, more than you need. You know, I'm surrounded by trees. I have a lot of forest also, uh, and uh, I decided, okay, I'm finally going to learn how to do this, you know. So I started taking classes, took the master gardener class, some other classes, and finally figured out how to garden right. So it does take some effort. Are you a Mendocino County master gardener? Uh, I'm not allowed to say that anymore because, uh, you know, I, as you know, I am a complete Luddite. I do not like the computer. <laughs> <laughs> I have a really hard time, you know, getting to the computer. And, and you know, I, I, I really res- respect and the, the program was a good program. But, you know, I just I just couldn't keep up with, you know, you've got to fill in this. you got to go to this site and you got to do that and go to this site and log in your hours and do this. And I'd be more the than happy to volunteer of, for them. The perils but of I modern life, right? I just do not want to deal <laughs> with the tech part of it. So... Uh, I went through the course, but I'm not allowed to call myself a master gardener. I see, but you have you have a lot of knowledge, and you feel like you yeah. you learned what you needed to learn to be a successful I gardener did. in Mendocino. How did you end up in Fort Bragg? Well, as I said, I grew up in Oakland, and I, I really had a, a great life in Oakland. I was living up in the Oakland Hills, had a nice garden, not not anything like this garden, but. You know, I had fruit trees and, and vegetables in a greenhouse, and it was very, very sweet. Uh, but I always wanted to live in the country, and, you know, I was up here. I'm also a ceramicist, so I was up here doing some shows, some craft shows up here uh, a number of times. I think I was up here three times in that summer, and I just said, well, you know, you've always wanted to move in the country. You're, like, retired now. So if you're going to do it, you're going to you got to do it. Otherwise, you, you know, quit thinking about it. So I took the plunge and moved up here. No regrets. No regrets. <laughs> no regrets. <laughs> so we are going to spend most of the show talking about goats, but I just want to know what is planted in your garden right now, what you love growing on the coast and what you wish you could grow on the coast. Well, that's the great thing about our area is you you know, we have year-round we have a year-round growing season. I'm just finishing up being sick and tired of broccoli, which seems to like <laughs> I have to eat broccoli like two, <laughs> two or three times a, a week. Uh, but, you know, we also, uh, my wife and I, we also store a lot of stuff, preserve a lot of stuff. Um, and, um, well, and I just finished uh, harvesting quite a bit of garlic and onions. And, nice. You know, onions. Onions are always problematic, you know, to get them not to bolt. That's a real chore. But um, and then, of course, all the greens that you can grow through the uh, through the winter. So there's a lot of greens. Have to eat a lot of greens, chard, collards, and uh, kale. Uh, but you know, now now is the great time because you know, I'm 
just starting to harvest the zucchini and the tomatoes are looking great. Ooh, and yeah. I, and the artichokes are finishing up. We've been eating artichokes for a couple months now. The artichokes are finishing up. The, and the asparagus is finishing up. Um, so, uh, you know, I've got the everything that I can grow here. I have a greenhouse. So uh, I'm able to do, I, you know, I'm trying eggplant for the first time because I just built the greenhouse last year, seeing how, how, how that does. You can't really do that outside too well. Uh, and peppers, too. And did quite a bit of peppers last year. And uh, uh, a lot of tomatoes, a lot of tomatoes. At last two years ago, I had 35 quarts of tomatoes oh, wow. canned. So that was You can't really call yourself a, a gardener unless you plant too many tomatoes. Uh, well, you know, they're tough here. You know, we have that. You have that blight problem here, you know. I'm t- I'm fighting the blight right now. Mm. Um, uh, we've had quite a uh, quite a bit of moisture in the spring, and of course, the blight has tra- traveled in the in in the uh, in the air. Sure. Um, so it's you know I just had to pull out. I had to pull out one tomato plant two days ago because it you know the blight when it hits, boy, it can just like take a plant down in, in no time. Well, and it's been so, such an unusually wet. June that certainly has yeah. contributed to a a, right. a different spring growing season than we're used to. Right. So I'm right now I'm spraying with copper, uh, spraying the tomato plants with copper to uh, to ward off the blight. I hope. Fingers crossed. I, I, that what? Fingers yeah, crossed. I know. You, I know <laughs> that you know I've had pretty good luck with copper in the past. Uh, one year, I guess about three or four years ago, I just I lost most of my tomato crop to blight. It just like wiped out everything. Well, and tomatoes are not necessarily a natural fit in a cool coastal environment. I'm from Seattle. No. I grew up in no. Seattle, so <laughs> I am an expert at making things with green tomatoes. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so I feel you on the tomato woes. Oh, well, I'd love to know your recipes because, you know, we waste so many green tomatoes. Oh, my gosh. Well, I have an excellent one for green tomato chutney that I will absolutely email you. But quickly on the air, I can tell you uh, and anyone listening that green tomato pickles sliced in rounds are the you can just use your regular dill pickle recipe for just sliced kind of thick slices of green tomato. They are the best on sandwiches. Uh, a cheese good. and cracker rounds, put them on a hamburger. It's yeah. a green tomato pickle. And this is saying a lot because I, I love me a pickle is maybe my favorite. Oh, yeah, good. Well, we are so off topic. Um, let's talk about goats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you and is it four other families? Three other families. So four and total. We, we've had four. And now we're down to three other people and myself. Okay. I do have another person who wants to come in, but um, we're pretty much using the milk at this point. We're a little down on milk at this point. Um, so uh, it's three. It may be expanded to four when when uh, production gets a little better. So but four it, families decided, or you decided, yeah. some yeah. years ago and brought families in, that a goat co-op was the way to go to share the um, burdens and benefits of having animals. So I would love right. to hear a little bit about what went into making that decision. Well, you know, I, as I mentioned, I had goats back in the seventies and they're a lot of work. I mean, if you have a goat and you don't have anybody except yourself, 
uh, you know, you're there every every day. You know, you don't have you don't get a break. And uh, when I was in Oakland, my my neighbor in Oakland, Oakland is a very strange place. <laughs> There's so much going on in Oakland. They they do allow they do a lot of farm animals in the in in metropolitan Oakland. And my neighbor had a, had a couple had four goats. And uh, I go, wow, it really ties you down. She says, well, you know, I bring in all these people and they milk and they get half the milk and I get half the milk and they, you know, they do the work. And then, you know, then I'm free to to do this and that. So I thought, wow, that's that's pretty cool because, you know, uh, I, I love having goats. They're great animals. The milk is great. Uh, and there's so much you can do with it. But, you know, I did not want to be tied down. Uh, every day, you know, sure. sometimes yeah. I want to go out and do my trout fishing and, and other, other activities. So, uh, so when I got here, uh, I met a person who had a goat and I said, well, do you, she had to get rid of the goat. And she said, do you, you want to, you want to do a goat share? And I go, yeah, yeah, that would be cool. A goat share. Uh, we could, you know, do it together, bring in some other people and share, uh, uh, share the responsibility. So my goat partner, Carol, and I, we own the goats together and, uh, we both milk two days a week. She milks two and I milk two. And then we bring in, uh, two other families and they milk, one of them milks one day and the other milks two days. So, um, and it just, it just worked out great, you know, and I, I like having the animals around. It's really, you know, that's, that's my thing is to, is to feel the, the whole process. That's what I love about it is feeling the process of being somewhat sustainable and, um, you know, the process of providing your food and, and understanding, understanding the, uh, the process of living. That's what I love about it so much. Yeah. So do the goats live on your property? Do they move between properties? Oh, they are totally on my property. Okay. And how many goats are there? Well, right now there's five, uh, but three of them are kids. Mm. Uh, we have two milking goats. We're going to keep one of the females that was born. And um, so the other two are males and they'll be sold off. So we have been milking, we have been milking two, um, and, uh, that's, you know, that's quite a bit of milk. It depends on where they are in their cycle. Sure. So for the, how does the milk work? Do you just keep the milk that you milk? Is that? Yes. Carol and I, uh, since we are, we are co-owners of this of this cooperative and we're the ones that provide all the feed and all the maintenance and the vet bills and all the process of, of breeding and all that. Uh, 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 we do that. And then the other people who come in, they give, they, we have a little bucket and they put $5 in the bucket every time they milk. And then they get to take the milk that they, and they take the procure milk, that right. day. What a clever so, system. Yeah, and it works out pretty well. You know, I mean, there's sometimes if the, if the goats are doing really well and I'm getting a lot of milk from both of them, 
then I'm I'm probably a little, maybe a little bit in the positive cash flow because I sell some of the milk. If I if I'm getting at one point we were getting three quarts a day, so you know we were making cheese and yogurt and having enough milk to to drink. Uh, so uh, really, we don't need more than about we don't need more than a gallon a week for those things. Sure. Um, so I would if if I sell milk, then I'm actually a little bit in the positive. Um, if not, maybe maybe I break even, but you know whatever. It's not it's not a huge financial burden. Sure, I, you're not in it for the money. You didn't get into no. the goat game to get rich. <laughs> yeah, um, it right. is interesting that you mention you sell the milk because I know there oh, are right. legal implications to there are selling. You have to sell it um, if you're going to sell milk from a goat. You have to sell it as pet food. What? And oh my goodness! Interesting. So if, if you have a, a goat, you can sell the milk as pet food. And if someone is going to buy the milk from me, they have to sign a. I have them sign a paper that says this milk is is not um, is not legally consumable for humans. It, I am selling it as pet food, and they have to sign that paper. That is such an interesting little loophole, and I'm sure all of those people's pets really appreciate. The yes, pet. all those people's <laughs> pets milk. really like the milk. I'm not, I'm not winking at all right now. <laughs> but you know, there's, I know there's some people, and I won't name names. That there's a, one person I know anyway that that sells milk on a regular basis, and that person doesn't really care one way or the other. They just sell it. They sell it for eight dollars a quart. Uh, and uh, that's that's fine. Um, you know, people are more than happy to get that milk. Oh, <laughs> raw goat milk, nothing better. Nothing yeah, better. So, um, so that that you know the that it, legally, I feel like I'm covered. Sure. With, with that paper. When I first moved to Mendocino County ten years ago this month, um, it was to a small homesteading farm in Redwood Valley, and they had goats. And the very first day I visited, goats were born. Um, oh, isn't that something? And I, you know, was a city girl, suburb girl through and through. I'd never seen uh, anything like it. And I got to watch these babies be born and I got to hold them. And then I yeah. got to enjoy that milk and learn how to make cheese. And then yeah. one of the first dates my husband ever took me on was to slaughter a goat. And then we ate it. Oh. So. That's tough. That was, it was, you know, it was beautiful, really, to, to mm-hmm. be a part of it. Um, and that makes me want to ask about the two kid males that you're going to, you mentioned you're going to sell them. Um, you know, typically those, those will end up being meat animals. So why? Well, no. Probably. Yeah. Not yeah. always. There, there are some that we have managed to get homes for as pets because they make great pets. Uh, most of the, most of the bigger ones, you know, I have a Nubian and then I have a Nigerian Alpine cross. Um, most of the big ones will end up as meat. The males will end up as meat. And you choose not to harvest those for your own consumption? I don't eat meat. Um, Fair. Except I do eat chicken. I, I eat chicken. I used to be a vegetarian and then. Uh, on my travels to Asia, I just, it was just too much, too much to try and maintain that. So I started eating poultry. 
I eat fish and poultry, but I don't eat uh, I don't eat any mammals. Well, that's probably even if you were a meat eater, it can be hard to to eat the animals that that you raised. It would, you know. I know people who do. Um, they uh, good friends of mine who have goats, and yeah, they have their buck every year and farm them out for stead services, and then when they're finished, it goes in the freezer. The circle of it's, it's I'm the, the circle, circle of life, yeah, you yeah. know. Yeah. If you're going to eat meat, that's the best way to do it. That it is. It is. Do you keep chickens? I do keep chickens. Yeah, I have. Uh, I have five chickens, which is plenty of chickens. That's <laughs> a lot of eggs people. if they're all laying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I have some chickens. I actually. I I read an article yesterday, obviously inflation is here and it's real, and we've all noticed the impact at the grocery store, and mm-hmm. the biggest um, increase in any single food item has been eggs, actually. Oh, really? So, Wow. If anyone out there is under any pretense that buying local farm-fresh eggs are more expensive, let me disabuse you of that notion and go find a <laughs> farmer to buy your eggs. Um, yeah. <laughs> So you milk the goats. You, um, it sounds like you breed them, right? And obviously, you have to to milk them. Um, right. And then you sell some of them. I'm assuming too. I mean, goats are great lawnmowers. They'll eat just about anything. So, have you found that those are useful around your property as you know, like fuel reduction or just sort of landscape maintenance? No, um, because. They will get into everything else. You know, my wife is a pretty big ornamental gardener. Sure. Oh, they will eat all of that. that and they stuff. will eat a lot of ornamentals. Yeah. And yeah, they're, you know, my goats have a lot of area. So they're not, um, they're not crying to get out. They don't really, I mean, my fence is not that big a deal. Um, and, you know, once in a while, they have such personalities. You know, I have one goat, Hattie, who, when she wants to be a bad girl, she will run out, <laughs> run out of the barn <laughs> after I milk her into the yard, you know. And <laughs> in a I have to chase her down. I have to chase her down. And it's always the same thing. I just chase her around and she goes right back to the fence, to the gate. <laughs> and so then funny. I let her in and that's that. And she feels like... <laughs> She's asserted her independence. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, let me take a minute to reintroduce you. If you're just tuning in, this is the Farm and Garden Show. I'm your host, Elizabeth Archer. My guest is Ron Ortman of Dirty Knees Farm in Fort Bragg, where he and three other families operate a small goat cooperative. I'm going to open up the phone lines if anyone has any burning goat questions or you want to talk about vegetables. Uh, Ron certainly is a wealth of knowledge. Our number is 707-895-2448. Go ahead, give us a call. 707-895-2448. I'd love to talk about the structure of the co-op itself and if you mm-hmm. modeled it on any existing co-op that you knew of if it's like not necessarily legally binding but if you have anything written down just interested no, in how you've structured pretty, it it's pretty loose really um we've gone through carol and i have gone through a number of people um I guess the original people, we've been doing this now for about four years. Uh, 
and the original people have all sort of moved on. And this is, I guess, just our second round of people we have. And they've been milking now for a couple years, and they seem pretty committed. Uh, one of them is, really lives close to me, which is nice. Uh, so uh, there's no – nothing is really written, and, you know, it's all honor system. They're just good about, you know, putting their $5 in the bucket, and uh, it's pretty loose. Uh, they don't really have – they don't really have a lot of responsibility for the animals. It's that's sort of Carol and I responsibility to take care of them. And that is, um, that is a bit of a challenge. I mean, there's no doubt about it. When you're taking care of a living thing like that, it, there, there can be problems. We've had, uh, well, our last, our last kidding with Hattie, she, she came down with ketosis. Ooh. Uh, which is like an 80% death, uh, death rate. Can you explain for folks who maybe don't know what that is? What- yeah, well, ketosis is when the, the dough is, starts putting all its energy into, into the kids inside her. And she, uh, she shuts down, doesn't eat and produces ketones. And the, the ketones will basically eat, eat her muscle tissue and, uh, to provide energy and provide energy for the kids and her. And then she, she shuts down eating and then most does just, just pass mm. if you're lucky to get the kids out. I think, I think we got, I think we got this a little early, uh, because I know, uh, my, uh, some friends of mine had a problem, even though it wasn't diagnosed as ketosis. She, they said, yeah, our, our dough just quit eating and, uh, uh, that was, and then I couldn't, we couldn't get her back. She, can, she had her, she had her kids and she died. The dough died. What can be done if you catch it early? Uh, well, you have to give them some really high energy food and, um, we had a vet come out. We had Dr. Wilson, our large animal. Uh, county Mendocino County vet uh-huh. come out and to see she gave us uh, well she gave us a, she gave us some oral medicine that that um, you know she said give this to him so uh, for we had to nurse her through for quite a long time and she also when she felt she could uh, kid uh, she induced labor to get those kids mm-hmm. out. You want to get the kids out as soon as you can, so that so that process can be re- reversed. So, so we did we did manage to save her. Thank God. It's it's hard to you know. Uh, uh, we've gone through a stage of mastitis where uh, that's an infection in the udder, and then you have to you know inject inject in the udder uh, an antibiotic. Uh, yeah, there, you know, you're dealing with, 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 uh, mammary gland, which, you know, is susceptible to a lot of problems. Absolutely. So the, yeah, there's, there's problems that, that can occur. There's no doubt you have to, have to be, uh, diligent and the birthing processes can always be a challenge. One time we had to pull one of the kids out. Hmm. Yeah. So will Hattie not be bred again then? Because of the the ketosis, or is that not necessarily something that will repeat itself? 
Well, uh, you know, this the ketosis thing is kind of funny. And um, when I talked to the doc about it, she said, you know, I've been here for a number of years. And she said, I've never seen a case of ketosis. And she said, this year, I'm finding ketosis all over the place. Oh, strange. Yeah, very strange. She said, this is the first year I've seen it. So um, I don't know that we know a lot about it. I don't, I don't know quite how to answer that question. I think she should be okay. And I think we would just have to really keep an eye on her and make sure. But why? You know, um, uh, one one friend thought, well, it's something in the, it's something, it was in the, it was in the grain. Doctor, the doctor thought that maybe it's something in the hay, maybe, but no one knows, you know, she didn't know. There no wasn't one knows. any sort of like connecting factor there that could be traced no back. connecting. Yeah, not yet. So um, we just have no idea why, why so many animals are coming down with ketosis. Wow, scary. Yeah. Well, I'm glad yeah. that Hattie was able to be saved. Oh, gosh. You know, I had my friend call, call me and say, oh, well, I'll come over and we'll start digging the hole. Oh, no. <laughs> and the doc says, uh, just really be prepared to lose this dough. <laughs> Probably not going to make it. Mm. Um, so, but, you know, she's a really good vet. And I really appreciated her her diligence and hard works to help save her. And how many kids did Hattie have that? She had three. Three. That's a lot. That's a lot of kids. Yeah. You know, she had two before and, you know, there, there are times when the goats will have quads. That's a lot, you know, uh, it's a big strain on the mom to have four, four kids, three kids. Hattie's a small goat because she's a half, half Nigerian dwarf and half Alpine. So she's a real small goat. Yeah. So she was carrying a lot in there. Oh, Hattie. <laughs> what is your weaning process like? Yeah, well, we're going through that now. Uh, let's see. Uh, they were born. Uh, it'll be eight weeks. and It'll be eight weeks tomorrow. At eight weeks, you can separate them from the mother. So uh, you just gradually... I started... Uh, after about six weeks, five or six weeks, maybe five weeks, I start separating them in their own pen for a couple hours. So they can get used to it. Gradually increase that. So now I took them. Uh, they were they were away from they were away from their mom uh, at nine o'clock in the morning, and I'll put them back together around six o'clock. And do so, they, are they, does that process eliminate, you know, some of the, the crying? Or are you still subjected to those <laughs> sad, sad noises? Uh, yeah, it's, it's really funny. We have our two, our two goats, Georgia, who is a full Nubian, and Hattie, who is the half. Um, Georgia has really taken to these kids. In fact, it's very, very unusual for a, a goat to nurse Another kids, uh, another doe's kids. Oh, interesting. Georgia, but little mama goat. Georgia is like, you know, nursing these kids along with Hattie. It doesn't seem to mind at all. Normally, they'll just kick them away. Very unusual. Georgia is more attached to these kids 
and Hattie. <laughs> uh, she's really, well, you know, and Nubians, Nubians are the loud goats. They have these vocal cords that are like trumpets, you know. Are the Nubians so, the ones with the really long floppy yes, ears? Yes, they're, they're so the cute. They're, they're African, African goat. And um, they're loud. And <laughs> she's just really attached to these kids, you know. So, um, she's going to have a harder time because Carol will take them. I, I get, you know, I get, uh, after eight weeks, I'm ready to get rid of those kids. (laughs) 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 And so, uh, uh, my partner will take them and uh, she finds, she finds homes for them and sells them. And what do you feed them while you're you're wait at that at eight weeks? Are they able to just start eating hay and yeah. you know munching? Yeah, they will on... start eating hay. They'll start eating it around four weeks. Got actually, it. they'll start nibbling and things. And at this point, they're eating they're eating grass and hay and leaves and and and, and uh, roughage. And they don't need they don't need a lot of really you know you know they don't really need a, a super amount of protein like a milking dough because a milking dough needs a lot of protein to produce the milk they're just their their bodies are just growing and they they do pretty well just on on grass and roughage yeah i'm interested in how you supplement the the goat's feed um you know, especially because your goal is you know with your milking does to get milk what what are you feeding them i'm sure they get to spend lots of you know time outside foraging and do you, mm. do they get you know stuff from the garden and then what supplemental mm. feed do you give them yeah i give them a lot of stuff from the garden and they love that uh um they love artichoke leaves they love uh they love they love collards and kale and it seems like, you know, when you have those tree collards, you always have tons of tree collards <laughs> <laughs> leaves. So I can always, and then, then scraps of things, uh, uh, you know, most anything except for nightshade. Right. What did I feed them? Um, uh, today I cut down the artichokes uh, that are finished bearing and gave them those to eat. And... Uh, I'm also hard, you know, getting rid of a lot of old broccoli plants, and so just pull up the broccoli plants. They're not sick of broccoli so, yet. They're not. <laughs> no, I am. They're not. But you know, goats. You know, goats have a. Uh, they have a. Uh, they got a, an interesting rap. You know, you, you always hear about how a goat will eat anything. They're really fussy eaters. What? Oh my gosh! I've been perpetuating this myth. <laughs> yeah, if if I take um if I take a broccoli plant and I throw it on the ground, they won't eat it cuz it's too dirty. Oh, they're ladies. I have they're to put delicate. it in their I have to put it in their feeder or above ground somehow or another. Hmm. Uh they do eat grass. Uh their their browsers, they like to eat everything they like to taste everything and that's where they get their reputation is they will taste your hat um <laughs> they will taste your clothes uh they will taste everything and uh and move on and but they definitely have their favorite favorites and they're fussy they don't you know it's hard to get them to eat the stalk of the alfalfa they like the leaves of the alfalfa and they waste a lot 
so the supplemental we, alfalfa that you feed them. Well, we feed the what the feeding schedule goes every morning. I give them a dairy grain and uh, alfalfa pellets, organic alfalfa pellets. I can't find organic hay. Mm. Uh, I suppose if I went far enough, I could. But, you know, there was one person who had organic hair in Potter Valley, alfalfa, uh, and they um, they got burned out. Oh, so I have not dang. found I have not found organic hay in, in you know in, in a reasonable area. I've found a person uh, that had organic hay in Modesto, <laughs> but I, I don't want to travel four or five hours, you know, to pick up a half a ton and a pick an half ton pickup. Sure, sure. So we do feed them organic uh, pellets, and uh, we feed them uh, organic dairy mix try and do as much organic as I can, but I do supplement, you know, I do give them some uh, alfalfa bale, uh, which they really like. They really, they like the bale a lot. They like the roughage. And, uh, and then I give them a little grass hay sometimes. And then I supplement that with pretty much every day. I'll throw something in from the garden for them to eat. Have and you- then, Go ahead. Then they have also a, a little pasture that they can go in, that they can eat grass and, and browse. And uh, I I have seeded that with uh, some pasture mix. I don't know how how I don't know I don't know how well that worked, but they're they're good and fat. They're good and healthy animals. <laughs> happy, happy, happy goats. Have they you, are happy goats. In fact, you... <laughs> everyone looks at Georgia and says, is she pregnant? <laughs> just well she fed. You just cannot stop eating. <laughs> Have you noticed a significant change in the price of the feed in the last year or even a couple months? Well, uh, let's see. Alfalfa was going for 20 and now it's, I think it's 22 now. Oh, and not that significant. Not that significant. It'll probably go up. It'll probably go up with this new cutting. You know, I, I was told that they're only going to be able to grow about 40% in California of the alfalfa. Because of water restrictions? Yeah, I, or I, they're going to cut, I think, 40% because of water restrictions. Alfalfa is a very hev- is a pretty heavily watered crop. Uh-huh. Not as bad as rice or almonds, but it's, um, I shouldn't say that. I don't know if it's as bad as almonds. I don't really know the calculation of that, but I know it's a pretty, it's a pretty, pretty water intensive crop. It's so interesting to talk about um, the different crops and their water consumption because it depends on how you're measuring it. You know, if you're measuring it by volume, that's one thing. If you're measuring it by caloric content, that's another. Almonds certainly Mm -hmm. get tons of water and I'm not into the monocropping of the Central Valley, but they do provide a lot of calories um, as mm-hmm. does alfalfa for for the, the mm-hmm. animals that rely on it. Right, right. Well, let me take a quick minute to introduce us. This is the Farm and Garden Show. I am your host, Elizabeth Archer. My guest today is Ron Ortman. Ron is in Fort Bragg, and he and three other families own and operate a small goat co-op. The lines are open if you have questions about goats or anything at all related to farming and gardening. I think Ron and I are game to try and answer. Um, The number is 707-895-2448. Give us a call, 895 895-2448. 
2448. So I want to talk again about milking. I mm-hmm. was an abysmal milker. I was never <laughs> able to master it. Um, I, you know, have worked a desk job for basically my whole adult life. And so I have carpal tunnel and that certainly contributed oh. to it. But I was uh. so bad and they wouldn't let me do it because as you said, you know, the mammary glands are prone to infection and damage and you yeah. have to be really careful with milking. And so I just wasn't allowed near them because I couldn't get it. And that, you know, it wasn't worth my silly little amateur fingers damaging their poor udders. So when you bring on a new family or a new milker, what's the vetting process like? You know, that's, that's a, I'm glad you brought that up because I would, I've, I've thought about, about this process because when I first, you know, got, my first goat, you know, here I had this goat and now everyone goes online or, you know, and finds out how to do things. But, you know, I mean, I just had this goat dropped on my property and I had to figure out what to do. You know, <laughs> I mean, the best you could do was write to the government, and get a little, little pamphlet. Oh my gosh. Wait, I want to hear about that, but we have a call. 25 cents. <laughs> Let's take this call. Okay. Hi, caller. You're live on the air. Uh, hi there, Farmer Garden Show. Yes, it sure is. Um, I've been looking online and talking to people, and there's so many things to learn. There's permaculture. There's biodynamics. There's restorative. There's sustainable. There's a friend of mine who's doing aquaponics, and he's talking about his ecosystem. Um, I love it because I'm a biology science nerd, but I'm just curious, what blends do you see being successful or different aspects of how to, like permaculture is about how to look at your land like an ecosystem or how water flows or trying to save. It's all about, I guess, creating an ecosystem, but it's a farm. So can you tell me a little bit about what's the most successful out here on the coast with the weird conditions we have what part of the coast are you on are you right near the ocean or are you inland a little bit i'm inland a little bit right at the fog belt um fog line like a thousand feet and um but i can hear the seal and oh. this is david and i will take my answer off here you guys are wonderful oh thanks so much for the call all right well i don't garden on the coast so i'm gonna let you take no. <laughs> that answer um but what i will say is that the most successful kind of gardening uh is the kind you like doing so <laughs> finding what works for well, you it, it might be different than what works for your neighbor you know there there are there are a lot of um a lot of different approaches that you can take to to gardening and gosh i wish i had all the names the permaculture is the permaculture is great, but it, it's kind of labor intensive. I mean, you know, you bury logs in the soil to uh, to maintain water, and uh, uh, yeah, I, it, I think it depends on 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 your water source. Uh, I do a lot of mulching in my garden to conserve water. And that, that seems to really work. You have to work, worry about mulching in terms of creating habitats for insects is a little bit of a problem. That's why a lot of people don't do it because it creates too many 
pest problems. But I, I have found that uh, mulching really conserves water a lot. And, and Rodeo, in his early book on organic garden, he just, I think 50% of the book is just talks about mulching. Oh, wow. Uh, so my, my, um, my water supply, I, I have a good well, which I worry about. You know, we we never know what's down there, so we don't. I don't know how much water is down there. Um, I do for my garden, for my agricultural uh, needs. I do rooftop storage, so I have six thousand gallons of stored water, and I do not take it off of a composition roof. Uh, I take it off of a polycarbonate roof. Uh, I wouldn't take. I wouldn't take agricultural use water uh, for food consumption off a composition roof. Smart. Uh, but uh, polycarbonate, I'm told, would be okay. So I store, I have 6,000 to 7,000 gallons stored. So I don't have a super water problem. That seems to pretty much between that and the mulching, uh, That's that's uh, that pretty much takes care of it. Uh, the coast has some problems. The biggest problem in the coast, I would say, are gophers. Ooh. So it, it is really, you know, it's just super hard to control those gophers. There's some crops that you don't, don't have to worry so much about gophers. They don't seem to go after tomatoes so much. They don't like nightshade very much. Anything root crop, uh, you know, carrots, onions, beets. Uh, garlic, they love garlic. They will consume your garlic. Uh, you, you either have to create a, a wire mesh to keep them out or, or have a, uh, have a container. So that, that's uh, a big problem. Um, other than that, um, of course, there's always problems with gardening. There's always, <laughs> there's always issues, right? Yeah, it really doesn't depend. It doesn't matter what system of gardening you do. Um, it because it's an really, ecosystem. It's a right. living system of, uh, you know, interconnected things. Uh, but from your soil to the whatever you plant to whatever chooses to plant itself to the pests and the insects and the beneficials and the ones you don't want and the weather. And you right. are also a part of that ecosystem and the amount of time you have to give and right. you know, your water availability. So um, I wish there were, I would be a much better gardener if someone could just be like Elizabeth. These are the things you have to do to be successful. <laughs> well, you know, but every year is different. One of the methods on the coast that I haven't tried because it doesn't sound right to me, but other people have had success, and that's bale gardening. Oh, I, uh, yeah, I've heard of that. Um, uh, you know, you, you don't have the gopher problem there. Uh, I, I just, and you have, to, you have to feed the plant because you're not going to get your total nutrients out of that bale. But I have heard people having really good success, so your caller might investigate that and see and see if if that's a possibility. Bale gardening. I also Bale think it's gardening. it's worth talking about. You know, sustainable doesn't have one easy definition. So right. something you know, gardening takes water. And water use as humans is not really currently sustainable, but water right. use for your vegetables is a good use. 
right. of water, even though you are using water for agriculture. That is a good use. Um, if you're right. planting a little backyard garden, you're not monocropping something. Um, right. even if you plant a water and even if you want to grow watermelons, which need a lot of water, like grow watermelons, you know, water your yeah. garden. Um, if it's sustainable for, for your joy, if it's going to bring you joy and if it's going to feed you and your family and your friends, that to me is sustainable. And, you know, just don't use a bunch of chemicals or plastic. Yeah. Right. Right. But wait, I want to get back to this government handout. Tell, you could get from the government a pamphlet on how to milk your I don't know if they goats. still have it or not, but, you know, I mean, uh, they had this whole list of, of government uh, through, the, through the Department of Agriculture uh, that, uh, you know, how to cure olives, uh, how to milk a goat. Uh, um, you know, it was endless. I mean, they had tons and they cost like a quarter. You know? uh, so you mailed in for these, and you and I got a few of them. I got some of them. They they were handy, you know. Before the internet, and that's how I learned how. To- <laughs> <laughs> but I had access to all that information, and I had an in-person teacher, and I couldn't nail milking. So some people are just not going to be good milkers. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't know. You know, I'm a natural milker. <laughs> I'm pretty fast. <laughs> I'm sure your goats appreciate that. In a couple minutes, you know, um, uh, it's it's uh, easy for me. Uh, you just have to, you know, close off that teat and you know squeeze that milk out. It's, it seems uh, easy, Ron, but <laughs> some but, of us know, don't we have bring the in touch. A new milker, when we bring in a new milker, you know, uh, it takes it takes like a good three weeks before they're on their own three weeks to a month before they're on their own. That's why I, I often reflect, oh, wow, you know, back in the 70s, you didn't have that. You just had to you just had to go at it, do the best you could, you know. Uh, now there's a lot more. There's a lot more online, you know. Everything now is there for you. It's easy to access all these things and, and how to maintain the goat and uh, how to, care for its health and everything so much easier than it was back then but uh yeah it takes a it takes um takes time for people to really get the the feel of it and then once you do you know you you can milk a goat pretty fast and it's it's a there we had one person who who couldn't milk so uh, so they bought these they bought these these milk, these uh, a milk machine basically, mm. where you put on the teat and it pulls the milk out of the goat. But I, eventually, that was given up. I mean, they used it for a month or two and then didn't use it anymore. Nothing course, more efficient than hand milking, I No, I bet this, I can out milk a scale. machine. Any, uh, that's a good. <laughs> that's a good uh, what uh, John Henry story. I can out milk a machine any day. <laughs> Well, we're coming to the end of the hour, and I just want to ask for your advice to anyone listening who may be thinking of starting, could be a goat co-op, could be chickens, could be vegetables. Really, there's the possibilities for for working cooperatively are endless. So what is your best advice to folks? What Are there any pitfalls people should look out for? How, how can people get started on their own? 
Well, of course, the first thing is is getting uh, getting a group of people together, um, and that takes some investigation, you know. And, it, um, and if if you have a dedicated group of people, it's it's a lot of fun. You you have uh, you know social times. We have potlucks together sometimes, and and work days. Some few work days we've had taking care of the animals. So it's it's just, it's also a social. It can be a social event. Uh, the pitfalls. Hmm. So I, I would say that, y- you know, uh, it, it's it, it, keeping a large animal is 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 not always, is, as I mentioned, it's not always easy. You're you're responsible for them. Even chickens, you're responsible, you know, for taking care of them. And I don't I don't really except for gophers. I don't really like killing wildlife. (laughs) The gophers have it coming. Gophers and fish, okay, and rats. Uh, But, you know, I I don't like like killing mountain lions or bears or anything like that. They have a, or raccoons, they have a, a, a right to be here also. So it's kind of our responsibility as owner of these animals to make sure that that we protect them from those from those critters um so it's it it is i'm not going to to make it sound you know like it's easy uh it's it's for somebody who really wants to experience the cycle of life and willing to put the time in on it and uh and and feel what it's like to um, you know the, the the pain of of life, the pain of death, the joy of life, the pain of death, uh, uh, and to feel that to feel that cycle and um, and some work. I, it, it it doesn't seem to me to be a tremendous amount of work. I mean, I have to get up and feed them every morning and put them to bed every night. And it's not a not a huge strain. Certainly not like construction work or something like that you know it's not that hard so it's really a matter of getting the right people who you feel comfortable with uh i think that's i I think that's probably the most uh important thing is to having the people around you who who you get along really well with and enjoy being with and and want to share in the experience and it is a stewardship you know you're you're in relationship to these these animals. Yes, you're in they're, relationship with the animals. They're right. your responsibility, and they're also, yeah. I mean, it is a relationship. So yeah. obviously, you want to be yeah. thoughtful about who you bring in to that to that relationship right. with you. And it sounds like you've had a lot of luck with that. Yeah, we haven't had uh, we haven't had a bad experience with 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 people yet. We've gone through about probably about seven or eight different milkers and none of them, all of them have been really nice people and, and cooperative, you know, do you exchange recipes for yogurt and cheese? And do you have any like cheese tastings? Um, We have exchanged some recipes uh, and, you know, done different things together. Uh, uh, I think for the most part, most of, most of the people who do the milking, I think they either make yogurt or drink the milk. Cheese is, oh, you know, hard cheese is... Oh, no. Soft cheese only with goat milk. Oh, it's such a... It's 
you, you know, you can make some really good hard cheese, but it is so laborious. <laughs> you know, just figure a whole day. <laughs> just go to Penny Royal if you want some hard cheese. Yeah, so some hard no, I just cheese. make soft cheese. I just, <laughs> I just make a simple farmer's cheese, you know? Even I can do um, that. I mean, it's yeah, really I just, mean, you know, the right temperature and a little bit right. of vinegar and you're you're off right. to the races. Yeah. That's another thing we do is we make a paneer. Mm, a- yum. Well, Ron Ortman, thank you so much for joining me today on the Farm and Garden Show. Next time I'm in Fort Bragg, I'd love to come pet your goat's soft ears. You're more than welcome to come anytime. <laughs> thank you <laughs> so thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.